Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome, and this is Cindy Meyer, the publisher of Spirit Seeker Magazine and your radio show host for the Spirit Seeker Hour. This show is brought to you each and every week um, and has been in this uh, format for almost seven years, which is really surprising. Um, before that, we were in a traditional studio, and then um, that studio was sold, and I was uh, invited to try this platform, and I, I love it because uh, you can listen to it live uh, each and every uh, week, or you can listen to it at your ease. The minute the show is finished, it's a podcast. You can share it with friends, family. You can come back and re-listen. Uh, so it's really been a very, very uh, wonderful venue. You can find out about the radio show each and every month, uh, as I said, in Spirit Seeker Magazine, uh, and we also have a weekly email newsletter. So if you would like to know when the magazine is online, other Mind, Body, Spirit events throughout the U.S. and into Canada, and um, also who the radio show guests are each week, then please send us an email to info at spiritseeker.com asking to be added to our uh, email list. It's sacrosanct. We do not sell it, so you will only get emails um, from the Spirit Seeker um, newsletter. Um, in addition, we do give free books, DVDs, CDs, many different blessings. Um, we do periodic drawings, and then we um, bless our email subscribers. Um, so please tell your friends, your family, you know, just send it to info at spiritseeker.com. Just a couple of uh, more messages, and I'm bringing my guest on. The first one is that starting in June, we are switching to Thursday evenings for the radio show. Um, it's <laughs> We've been on Tuesdays forever, but due to a lot of different things happening, that uh, Thursday is the best um, night proceeding um, in the future. So starting in June, we will be uh, that first, um, well, not the first, we will be Thursday evening each uh, week at 7 o'clock. The other thing is that Spirit Seeker will uh, be at the Body, Mind, Spirit Expo in Chicago, Tinley Park, the first weekend of June. I will be... um, giving a lecture on feng shui and then we will have a booth and then um so stop by and say hello if you happen to be in that area and then we will also be supporting the transformation conference which is in eureka springs arkansas the last announcement uh is that we have several free tickets for um the premiere of between the worlds and american journey which um is all about you know how the democracy how, how we can support our democracy and come together um uniting at this time in in history so it's a it's a it's a it's put on by Cecilia Nadal Hitana Productions and she always does these multicultural cross-cultural events bringing us all together in a new way so i have um free tickets for that just send an email to info@spiritseeker.com or call 636-530-7579 that is it for announcements i am delighted now Um, to introduce my guest and bring him onto the air. His name is Leonard Perlmutter. He is the founder and director of the American Meditation Institute in Avril Park, New York, and the author of Transformation, uh, the Journal of Meditation as um, Mind-Body Medicine. He um, is the author of a brand-new book that has just come out, The Heart and Science of Yoga. And uh, this book is all about empowering self-care program you know, individualized for you for a happy, happy, healthy, joyful life. Um, Leonard's been involved in a lot of different things uh, for over 40 years. He's served on the faculties of the New England Institute of Ayurvedic Medicine in Boston, Massachusetts, and the International Himalayan Yoga Teachers Association in Calgary, Canada. He has studied in Rishikesh, uh, India, and is a direct disciple of medical pioneer Swami Rama of the Himalayas. Mr. Perlmutter has presented informative workshops on the benefits of meditation and yoga science at numerous medical centers, universities, all over, and he teaches regularly in Avril Park, uh, New York. So you can see he has, um, he is experienced, he's seen the benefits, and he is a wise uh, person who is about to advise us. So, Leonard, thank you so much for being my guest. It's my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation, Cindy. Okay. So, you know, Leonard, over 40 years you've been on this path. 
So that's like a ways back. And when you first started um, studying yoga, did you study with um, with one of the teachers from India, or how did your path get started? If if you wouldn't mind sharing that, and um, and then we'll we'll go into the book. But just your path, you know, your journey and your path so far. Just whatever you want to share with us. Well. Uh the the path really found me insofar as uh, since I was a young child, I was always philosophically oriented. It was just the way that I saw the world. And uh, when I was uh, a young uh, student in grade school and uh, into high school, uh, I joined the Cut Scouts and the Boy Scouts. And in uh, that training... I've learned many practical skills that prepared me for life. If you remember, the uh, the scout motto was be prepared. And be prepared for what? Well, be prepared for anything because uh, uh, life is a thrill a minute. Uh, you never know uh, what's going to happen next. And it's important for every human being uh, to be prepared. And so that sort of uh, uh, developed a, a very... Uh, intense interest in finding practical knowledge in my life that would help me be prepared in in a variety of relationships. I studied uh, uh, various uh, religious uh, scriptures and uh, and philosophy uh, from uh, Judaism and Christianity and Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism uh, and uh, the Native American cultures. And then I discovered the perennial philosophy and science of yoga, and I knew that I was home because it was so rich in its teachings and so practically grounding in its application. Uh, And I found that uh, yoga science is the oldest form, actually, of mind-body medicine, in addition to being the basis of all uh, world religions and all spiritual paths. But in order to uh, experience the happiness and the health and the security that we deeply desire, uh, yoga science provides us really what's called a, a scientific template for discovering and employing the truth. And in order to uh, engage in that type of a practice, we really have to define our own mind-body-sense complex as a personal laboratory. So we don't go into a laboratory and uh, and work with uh, chemicals and uh, electron microscopes. Uh, our mind, our body, our senses, our spirit uh, becomes the elements of scientific experimentation in the midst of relationships. And the key tool for that, for the experiment, is referred to what I refer to as the bridge of yoga. It's really uh, just a metaphoric bridge that helps connect our outer actions with our inner wisdom. I guess we all learned in grade school uh, from uh, Newton uh, that every time you take an action, there's a consequence that develops. Well, I suppose uh, each of us uh, desires a certain consequence in life. We want to be happy. We want to be healthy. We want to be secure. We want loving, nurturing, rewarding relationships. So for me, the question was, how am I going to get to point B from point A? Uh, and I knew that if I wanted to start a business, I'd, I'd uh, write a business plan. I might even uh, speak to a couple of bankers to see if I could get financing. I might even uh, author a uh, survey and give it to uh, people to see if they are interested in uh, the product or the service that I'm selling. Well, all human beings want to be happy, we want to be healthy, we want to be secure, we want loving, nurturing, creative, spiritual relationships. How are we going to experience that? Uh, And the Bridge of Yoga helps uh, with that. You know, it's so interesting. Um, The very first yoga class that I took, I mean, we're talking about in the 1970s, was Mm -hmm. at a junior college. And I I remember at that time, you know, we just kind of brought a mat or brought a towel or, you know, it it was, and and, and there was, um, there wasn't a lot of instruction with it. It was just poses and, um, and you knew 
that even if you didn't understand what was going on, you felt better when you left. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know if that makes sense, but you sure. know, but you, but there wasn't really the scientific part of it. It was more. Um, these are the moves. You hold this. You do this, and you were, and you knew you were opening your body. Um, would you be kind enough to talk about, like, when someone says, "What are the Yoga Sutras?" Would you talk about that aspect of it? I, you know, we can go a lot of different angles, and I know I want to bring it all back to, you know, how to create the the self nurturing, you know, program. But but when someone says, "Well, what are the Yoga Sutras?" Would would you be kind enough just to share a little bit of knowledge on that? Sure. Uh, first of all, the science of yoga is thousands of years old, five, six thousand years old, probably even uh, longer than that. And originally uh, it was, and essentially still is today, an oral tradition. It went from practitioner uh, to student, and then from teacher to student in a long uh, a chain uh, of, of a lineage. The tradition from which we teach is, is thousands of years old. It's the oldest continuous spiritual and meditation tradition in the world. And at a certain point, it was approximately, uh, say, 400 years before uh, Jesus the Christ, uh, a sage named Patanjali codified this oral tradition. And uh, he, he wrote it down. Uh, I'm sure that there were other uh, uh, renunciates and monks uh, uh, who uh, had a uh, satsang, uh, uh, a group uh, of like-minded seekers with him that uh, helped facilitate uh, this codification of this oral tradition. And it became known as yoga science. And uh, there are essentially uh, eight steps uh, to uh, to uh, this yoga science that helps us start where we're at with our mind-body-sense complex, with our personality, and teaches us certain disciplines and restraints to regulate our external relationships as well as our internal, personal uh, uh, relationships and lives. And then it uh, teaches us about physical exercise being important for the uh, not only for the body but also for the mind and so that is what we know as yoga asanas yoga postures and then uh, they also realize that uh, it was important to control uh, the breath and the energy that comes to us uh, through the breath known as pranayama uh, even though people could not will uh, the mind to calm down, they realized thousands of years ago that if they could just regulate the breath and calm the breath, it automatically calmed the mind. And so that next step was uh, uh, this breath control. And they also realized that a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of creative energy went out through the senses of sight and smell and taste and hearing and touch. And if the truth be known, we all... Uh, uh, spend a lot of energy uh, uh, through sense gratification. And not all of uh, these endeavors are, are very positive or beneficial. And so these ancient people began to withdraw desires from the senses and only served uh, those desires that had the good housekeeping seal of approval, so to speak, of their own inner wisdom. And so control and conservation of the energy through the senses was important. And then in a similar situation uh, to uh, to today's uh, cultural uh, uh, advice that, that we multitask, people realized that uh, multitasking uh, uh, was exhausting and debilitating, that it really uh, depressed uh, the immune system and it caused depression in the mind primarily because it's impossible for a human being to uh, multitask. It's impossible for the mind to do two things at once, to right. provide us the you delusion know. that we're multitasking, and also back thousands of years ago, adrenaline has to surge through the system. Uh, and, of course, that adrenaline uh, depresses the immune system and depresses the mind. So one-pointed, concentrated attention, what we refer to as monotasking rather than multitasking, is dharana, it's one-pointed attention, and that all leads toward meditation, giving your complete one-pointed attention to just one object, namely a mantra. 
a word or a series of words that contains the name of the supreme reality. It's a perfect harmonic. And that harmonic of the mantra does four things. It generates love and fearlessness and strength. And just like pigeons that fly home to roost, just like salmon that swim upstream to spawn, mantras return to their source of origin. Which is what happens on the highest level of consciousness. There is only one source of everything. Because things that we see as separate objects are really a reflection of the limitation of my brain and my senses. I see two where really one only exists. We see nothing in the space between you and me, and yet the space between you and me is pregnant with life. Neither of us would exist without the space between us. And so so the mantra arises from the silence and it returns to the silence and in the silence is this ocean of peace bliss and happiness which is just a way of describing the indescribable consciousness that is within me that is within you that is the background of all reality and it introduces us to ourself to our spirit to this eternal nature of who we are and your your book comes. I mean, it's just beautiful. Um, the um, listeners, the eight um, steps that that Leonard just mentioned. You know, uh, the eight steps of yoga science. He pretty much starts the book off with that, and then um, as we go along, it's a journey. This book is a journey. I think you could open any chapter. Um, I mean, I know you're not really supposed to read a book from front to back in chronological order, but but your book is such that you could open any chapter and just just be on a journey. And um, I, I love how you have covered everything from meditation to breath to all the different pieces, you know, using the mantras, um, you know, the physical postures, co- covering that part. And um, I just want to read just a couple of things. This this one are the 10 meditation benefits. So, um, you know, what Leonard was just describing, uh, he sums it up in just this short little paragraph. And, um, and then I want to uh, talk about the life purpose section. Okay, so 10 meditation benefits relieve stress, anxiety, worry, and burnout, enhance your immune system, achieve and maintain a healthy weight, eat, uh, or I'm sorry, end unnecessary health care costs because you're healthier, um, increase energy focus and creativity, lower blood pressure and reduce pain, learn how to love yourself, resolve marriage, family, and work issues, cultivate loving, nurturing relationships, and realize your divine self and life purpose. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. Well, it's pretty phenomenal, but it really works. And uh, and the beauty is that uh, it's not dependent on uh, people outside of us. It's all... uh, a question of self-reliance. Remember uh, Shakespeare speaking as a yoga scientist said, above all else, to thine own self be true. And we have sort of forgotten ourselves. We sort of, uh, the culture has sort of uh, uh, taken ourselves uh, this divine uh, uh, wisdom and perfection out of the equation. We have created technology as our deity, uh, and it's it's a very fragile place to exist in the world if we think that all the answers are outside of us. Right. It creates a tremendous you know, sense of lack in us. Well, and, and you're always searching outside of yourself, then, or what's the quick fix, or what is the... Or, you know, or what, what medicine, you know, the people that, you know, um, you know, when I was a nurse for many years, and I left nursing um, after, like, less than 10 years, you know, once a nurse, you're always a nurse, but you know what I mean. But I, mm-hmm. but I just realized, you know, you would take the history uh, when a patient would first come into the hospital, and you'd go back, like, you know, have you had any stresses in your life? And, you know, a lot of times people did not even realize that, events that had happened in their lives were stressors. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. the culture, um, of, uh, in America anyway, it's not this way everywhere in the world, but in America, oftentimes people do not understand um, how their health came to where it is. And then it's doctor, doctor, fix me, instead of 
uh, the rationale, which is more the case now, I think, than it used to be, where what was I doing that maybe perhaps I put my adrenal glands in overdrive and created this imbalance, you know, or this dis-ease in my body. And, you know, I, I love how, you know, you, you summarize so beautifully all the, the benefits of meditation. And, you know, they, the Benson, the Harvard Benson response, you know, that was one of the first, um, you know, scientific studies. And then uh, I remember the Transcendental Meditators went to the White House and meditated on the White House lawn. And in that particular study, they measured crime like 50 to 100 miles out and crime mm-hmm. decreased because of everyone um, meditating and focusing on peace. Do you, do you remember that study? Yes, I sure do. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, I, and, it, and you know, you look at even um, Woodstock. They brought in a swami, a person from mm-hmm. India, to bless Woodstock. Now, most people don't know that, but it's like, you know, you look at the Beatles and, you know, they kind of brought, you know, transcendental meditation to the West. I, I'm not saying only, but, you know, they, they made it a little more known. They like, popularized it, for sure. Right. Yeah, but yeah Maharishi you, was on Johnny Carson. <laughs> I know. I know. Wasn't that amazing when you yeah, think about it? Yeah, great. So that, know, you know, that, that yeah. educated uh, a lot of people to the, to new possibilities that were not inside the matrix. Right, right. Not inside and our matrix. Was, right. And, you know, and then, you know, um, this is just an aside, uh, but the first time I heard Deepak Chopra, which was 1996, and there were like 600 people in the auditorium, and many were medical doctors and, you know, people from that that um, the healing professions, and he never once called it meditation, which I found fascinating. He called it lengthening the quiet um, pauses between the thoughts, and I thought, oh, okay. So then, of course, the next time, you know, he started becoming more open with it and explaining it, but, you know, at that time, he was more with the doctors, and, you know, there's just been so many different people who have tried to explain it, and I can't tell you, Leonard, how many calls I got, like, do you teach meditation, or where can I learn meditation, or how can I, I've tried meditation, it doesn't work. Your book addresses, like, start where you are, and I really like that, and, um, so we can go, like, you've already mentioned the mantra meditation, but overall, if someone has never meditated, but they want to learn, where would you guide them to start in in your book? Would you just, um, I mean, this book is, a, is perfect to start with, I agree, and you've got so many things in here. But when when someone's never meditated, um, do you But just, I don't believe do that you, that's true, Cindy. I believe that everybody I, has meditated if we understand what meditation really is. So meditation really is just the one-pointed concentration of our mental awareness. So any time that we give our complete attention to one object to the exclusion of everything else, that is a form of meditation. And and what is the commonality of all of those experiences? That, that we give our attention to freely. The, the commonality is love. When when I fall in love, what do I do? How do I demonstrate that? I give my full one-pointed attention to another human being. Uh, when I uh, uh, read a uh, fantastic book that I love, what am I doing? I'm giving my full attention to the book. When I see a fantastic movie that I love, what am I doing? I'm giving my attention to the movie. When I go to Las Vegas, uh, uh, what am I doing when I'm in Las Vegas? I'm giving my complete attention to whatever uh, is in front of me, uh, uh, whether it's a deck of cards or it's the slot machines. I'm giving my one-pointed attention, and that's why we love these things. So what... What meditation helps us to do is to recognize we don't need any of these external prompts to experience the bliss and the fullness and the love that will uh, help facilitate a healthy mind and body. All we need to do is to meditate on a mantra, and that mantra will lead us slowly, slowly, beyond the boundaries of thinking. And don't forget, you mentioned stressful situations. It's not the stressful situations. It's not the situations that cause the stress and anxiety and tension and burnout. It's what we think about them, right? 
it's our judgments right. it's our it's our preconceptions that are stored in our unconscious mind and when we learn to meditate we're not only just relaxing we are changing both the software of the mind and the hardware of the brain we're we're creating new channels hardware channels for consciousness our awareness to flow in different ways and your book covers this. Like, I mean, I I love this book. I mean, this is going to be That's my go-to nice. for. Well, it just is. And you know, the when you talk about pranayama, mm-hmm. and um, you approach it from a lot of different ways. And mm-hmm. alternate nostril breathing is one of the things that I've done. You know, for for a long, long, long time. And I used to have sinus problems a lot, mm-hmm. and I don't have them at all anymore. That's right. Um, That's right. I know because it's just it's as simple as that, and you know, but but it's also you know working with the third eye, it's working with the midbrain, it you know it just mm-hmm. you know it, it has so many benefits, and when your sinuses are lighter, your thinking is clearer. I mean the whole the whole nine yards, and um, but you study or not study, you teach all about um, you know the different different types of breathing and. Um, you know, diaphragmatic breathing, some of the irregularities. I mean, that's like, that. that is, that could have been a whole book. And, and, you, and it's like, you covered it all. And um, so do you want to talk a little bit just about the power of breath and how that plays into um, becoming present with yourself? Absolutely. Uh, let's take a look at diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, first of all, most of most uh, people are chest breathers, where we breathe uh, through the chest. If if uh, you, Cindy, and and folks who are listening, if if you want to do a little experiment right now, just sit comfortably in in, in a chair uh, uh, with your head, neck, and trunk straight. Place one hand on the belly and one hand on the upper chest, and then breathe to your comfortable capacity. Have your eyes closed and and just observe. And notice which hand is moving. There should be, really, there should be very little movement in the, in the upper hand that's on the chest. But rather, the hand that's on the belly should be going out and in, out and in, without, with each inhalation and each exhalation. Now, we all learned, we all, we all uh, began by breathing diaphragmatically when we were born. But then, because of the stress and the concepts that we were taught about uh, uh, what's to be feared and what's to be done and what's not to be done, it became so overwhelming that we began to breathe in our chest. Now, when we breathe diaphragmatically, the first thing that happens is that the belly swells. And what that facilitates and allows to happen is the diaphragm, which is the largest and perhaps the strongest muscle in in the body at rest it it has the shape of an umbrella or a dome but when we breathe diaphragmatically and the belly swells with the inhalation that dome shape flattens out into a pancake and it and it and it falls down to the floor of the uh, the uh, abdominal cavity and when we Exhale, why the diaphragm comes back up into a dome shape or an umbrella shape again. And with each inhalation and exhalation, as the belly swells, the diaphragm falls. As, as we exhale, the belly contracts, contracts. And so the diaphragm is going up and down, up and down, up and down with each inhalation and each exhalation. Okay, that's part of the story. The other part of the story is all the way up in the brainstem. At the brainstem is situated the amygdala and the hippocampus, and they regulate the fight, flight, or freeze syndrome, okay? When we perceive a threat or a danger, and it doesn't even have to be real, remember again what Shakespeare says, thinking makes it so. If we think there's a threat, if we think that there's a danger, then there's a danger, insofar as the amygdala and the uh, hippocampus, because they regulate these hormones that put us on alert. Oh, my gosh, what if there's a saber-toothed tiger coming? And so when, 
when we are breathing diaphragmatically and the and the diaphragm goes up and down, up and down, up and down, from that brain stem wanders the longest nerve in the body called the vagus nerve. It goes through the thoracic cavity, it goes through the abdominal cavity, it goes right through the diaphragm. And when the diaphragm is going up and down and up and down with the vagus nerve going right through it, in effect, the diaphragm is massaging or stimulating that vagus nerve. And in that case, when we are breathing diaphragmatically in that way, and the diaphragm is massaging this vagus nerve, it sends a message back to the amygdala and the hippocampus that what? That the danger is gone. Turn off the hormones. No danger exists. The problem for us is we're not breathing diaphragmatically. There is n- there's not a stimulation or a massage of the vagus nerve. And as far as the intelligence of the amygdala and the hippocampus are concerned, there's still a threat. And so we are, we're uh, uh, on virtually uh, uh, high alert 24-7. You know, even when we uh, lie, uh, sit down or lie down uh, on the sofa uh, at the end of a, of a long day and want a little entertainment watching television, why most of, uh, most of the programming is, uh, is fear-provoking. Oh, I know. And so, so that just heightens, you know, what if, what if, what if? And so right. if we can regulate the breath, breathing diaphragmatically, where the belly swells with the inhalation, then the rib cage rises, then the collarbones rise, then the belly contracts, contracts, contracts. In that case, the diaphragm is going to go up and down, up and down, stimulating and massaging that vagus nerve and telling and the brain stem, the amygdala and the hippocampus, the danger is gone. I love the way you explain this. Um, I, I mean, there's the scientific part we know, which is what you mm-hmm. just explained, and then the um, and it makes sense because you're working with all seven chakras. You're bringing the energy up and down the spinal column. I mean, okay. everything's working together. That's right, and it it moves these blockages. You know when. When, when certain kinds of relationships hijack us and uh, it causes conflict in the mind. And depending on the type of relationship, it blocks, it blocks energy, it blocks prana in, in certain of these consciousness centers. You reference the chakras. And so each chakra has a, an entirely different psychology from every other uh, chakra. You know, the first chakra at the base of the... Uh, a spine that's about grounding that's why the earth element uh, uh, is the key there uh, the idea is to ground ourselves uh, with stability and balance in, in the earth second chakra urogenital region this is where this is the water works water predominates uh, it's the basic element here and, and water represents fluidity if we do not have fluidity if, if we get locked into our likes and our dislikes if we only go after what uh, the ego and the senses and the unconscious minds suggest as pleasant and we forsake that which they say is unpleasant, that mental inflexibility is only going to create physical inflexibility. So we already know that that which, is, that which is pleasant isn't always good and that which is unpleasant isn't always bad. So we have to be mentally flexible to say no in certain circumstances to what is pleasant and to embrace in certain circumstances that which is unpleasant. And that mental flexibility will provide us physical flexibility. And so consciousness can be flexible. In, and that's what we certainly need in every relationship uh, is the flexibility to do what's to be done and what's not to be done. Not based on habit but based on our own wisdom. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and you know, I, I like how you brought in the, the elements, you know, with the, the chakras, because a lot of mm-hmm. people don't, 
they don't get that. They they understand the the different chakras, but they don't get the the, the five elements or you know the elements part of it. Yeah. You know, this is your earth, this is your water, this is your fire. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, and you know, it takes it takes. Uh, I mean, it's amazing the innate intelligence that is already wired in. And then when we take the intelligence of the body and we work with it and support it, which is, you know, the, the essence of your book, you know, how, how to create a self-care program for happy, healthy, and joyful living. And um, you you give everything. Like a person could start right here, right now, and create their program just just starting one practice, you know, and then right. implementing another practice. And, um, and I, I really like how you divided the book, you know, into the different sections. And, um, you know, so, so Leonard, I want to read this one uh, part about the breath. Sure. Um, breath is the bridge that connects life to consciousness, which unites your body to your thoughts. Whenever your mind becomes scattered, use your breath as a means to take hold of your mind again. I love that. Yes. Yeah, when you calm your uh, breath, you automatically calm the mind. And what you're really doing is you're you're creating a space between stimulus and response. Our culture goes about obliterating the space between stimulus and response. We're traveling at 100 miles an hour in the passing lane of life. There is no time to discriminate. There's no time to check with our inner wisdom. It's all about autopilot. And the reason is uh, pretty uh, uh, practical, because the overriding philosophy uh, in in this culture is commerce. So if if I'm if I'm traveling at 100 miles an hour in the passing lane of life, and I'm feeling stressed out, I am going to be very susceptible to uh, uh, the pitch to buy something uh, to uh, to ameliorate my pain for a short period of time. So I'm going to compensate myself. I'm going to have a jelly donut. I'm going to have a Coke. I'm going to have uh, you know something sweet that makes me feel good for five minutes and yet depresses my immune system, causes pain, uh, uh, facilitates uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the denigration of, of my uh, uh, bone structure. Uh, and, I, and later on in life, I, I wind up with osteoporosis because I've through the through the standard American diet, uh, I've had too much acid uh, without enough uh, alkaline uh, uh, alkalinity to, uh, to to buffer uh, that because all these minerals are, have been stolen in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s. All these minerals have been stolen from my bones to to buffer and, and alkalize uh, uh, all this acid that I'm eating to compensate myself. So we're really uh, stealing from Peter to pay Paul. Right, and you know, it it you know the people who don't understand this, and many people understand it and they do it anyway. I uh, my chiropractor, who is quite brilliant, was talking about he's giving up sodas. I said, "Do you drink soda?" I was really kind of shocked, and mm-hmm. I mean, not in a judgmental way, just in an observation standpoint. That mm-hmm. he teaches martial arts, he teaches health, and he goes, "I know, I know." And I was just like, okay, you know. Okay, but, so, but, you know, so you're bringing up a very important point. You see, okay. in the material world, nothing, nothing is unalloyed. We are mixtures. So we want our teachers to represent perfection. But but that's a preconception. That That's not reality. Because everybody's got stuff. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a body. Okay. Right. So, I started laughing. So, I mean, you know, right. I, I understand. Like, you know, you know, Leonard, we, you're right. We wouldn't have any teachers if they had to be perfect. And no, but they are. They are know, our teachers. And yes, that's why right. I tell people that Elvis Presley is my uh, is my guru. Because when I was 10 years old, I fell in love with Elvis Presley. I loved him when I was 20, when I was 30, 40, 50, 60. I love him today, because I loved him. As I mentioned before, it was a form of meditation. I gave him my attention, my one-pointed attention. And because right. I gave Elvis my one-pointed attention. I observed a lot of the choices that he made in his life, many of which were in conflict with my own inner wisdom. So on some level, the life of Elvis Presley was lived to teach Leonard what not to do, how not to spend my sacred energy. And I, I have been very grateful to him as my teacher. 
but we criticize and we're very judgmental about uh, teachers that, uh, like our mother or our father, you say, oh, uh, my mother, uh, she, you know, she uh, she was always critical. Uh, she was always fearful. Uh, you know, she didn't teach me. She was trying to teach you. She was trying to model what not to do. But we didn't right, get it. Right. <laughs> we didn't get it because we wanted her to be, uh, you know, this uh, this uh, this angel. Right. Right, and and yet in 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 her his or her own way, whoever this person that mm-hmm. we have you know put in that position, you know we teach what we most need to learn. Oftentimes, but it's really that's the right. truth, and it's that's right. And you know, right, and that's the that's the beautiful part of each person person, as you mentioned earlier. You know, when you're in your interior landscape and you're in that quiet, each person's landscape's different. Like no two people are going to go on the same journey in a meditation, you know, even a guided meditation. You know, the the mind, our our minds and our bodies are each unique and special. But Everybody's living in a separate universe. Yeah, yes, and yet we're all connected, which, oh, my gosh. Okay, so, so, okay, there's so many chapters I want to cover, but I'd like to go to Ayurveda next because you really have a profound knowledge in Ayurveda and um, whatever you want to share because um, you you just whatever you want to share, Leonard. And if you want to go in a different direction, that's fine too. I'm, well, I'm Ayurveda, over here. Ayurveda really was the first aspect of yoga science that I that I uh, studied, learned, and put into practice. Before I really knew about uh, yoga science. I knew that uh, I was in pain. Uh, uh, I was heavy when I was a young person. Uh, I grew up in a uh, in a stereotypical uh, Jewish home uh, where uh, uh, food was very important. Uh, it was um, Mama uh, wanted us to eat, uh, and it made Mama happy uh, when we ate. And uh, uh, I ate. Uh, as as a, a way of relieving stress uh, and tension and anxiety, uh, and uh, I had a terrible uh, uh, amount of pain uh, as, as a young person, and so I naturally gravitated toward uh, uh, making food choice an important part of my life. It didn't start until I left home when I went to, away to school, and I started making choices for myself. That was the beginning. I remember uh, I was having a uh, dinner uh, with uh, uh, some people, and uh, uh, a woman whom I was dating at the time uh, was seated across the table, and we were enjoying a, a wonderful uh, Thanksgiving dinner that we uh, all, uh, a group of uh, friends, had uh, prepared. And I noticed about uh, three-quarters of the way through the meal, uh, it caught my eye, she took her plate with her uh, hand and and she pushed it uh, away from her and 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 it broke me from my trance of eating and I said uh, gee uh, is there a problem and she said something to me Cindy that changed uh, my life she said no there's no problem i'm just full <laughs> 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 wow, that was a that was a that was a novel idea, you know. Because uh, I understand. Uh, okay, so uh, when I I was trained uh, trained just like Pav, the Pavlovian response, that if I had uh, a plate of food, I sort of went unconscious until what woke me up was an empty plate, and then the bell would ring, and then the thought would come, well, what's next? <laughs> Well, and I was raised Catholic, and we had, uh-huh. I only went to Catholic school three years, but we had these nuns who literally came and looked at your plates, and if you were going to throw something away, what did we hear? Think of the poor people in China. Yeah. That was the well, programming. And so you were like, a, you were terrible to not, like, eat everything on your plate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, they made you feel well, so, so it's what I today I, I find that uh, very amusing because that's a very speciesist attitude you see because wherever there's food there's going to be a there's going to be a mouth (laughs) it might not be a human (laughs) mouth but somebody's going to really appreciate uh, whatever it is you know could be an ant could be a a mouse Uh, so wherever there's food there'll be a mouth and wherever there's a mouth there is going to be food so so ayurveda has been very important to me because it, it taught me 
that that I have a, a very interesting, unique body type. And uh, it has a certain balance of space, air, fire, water, and earth that, that, that gives me certain propensities, proclivities that other people don't have. Because everybody has a little bit of a different balance. Right. And so I, I had a preponderance, for example, I learned that I, uh, I am a, uh, my body constitution is primarily kapha. So I have heavier elements of earth and water, which means I have a low fire low metabolism for digestion. And yet the foods that I was attracted to through this, through my uh, birth culture, the uh, birth family, uh, they, they, uh, there was a lot of kapha food, a lot of heavy food. I'm talking bagels and cream cheese. And, Noodle, uh, kuga, kugels. Right. <laughs> this stuff is heavy. And, and, I, and, and so... Th- you know, it's it's like taking a wet log and putting it on a on a medium fire. It would take a lot of energy from that fire just to dry out the log, let alone to consume it. But I learned that gee, there's other kinds of food that you know don't have as much earth and water. They're they're they have more air, space, and fire in it. And if I ate more of those, it would be less less taxing to my system. I could digest assimilate and eliminate a lot easier and i felt better physically mentally emotionally and spiritually so that became part of my practice and well, it's, I, it's very uh, yeah. right. very insightful right i mean and i i have to tell you you know i i'm a feng shui consultant and just mm-hmm. all the different things i've studied over the years i I've, I've studied the the chinese five elements quite a bit and um, studied with monks that, you know, from the bone tradition that, you know, teach the space element in the body and, um, you know, using the breath to keep the body open, which is a lot of a lot of what you've um, touched in here. But I have to tell you, I never, I, the way you uh, covered the elements as they relate to the five senses was fascinating to me. I just, I never thought about, um, you know, the way the tongue, like when you were talking about with, with water um, and and the organ of taste and just the way you described it, it was, I had never connected that with the lower chakras and um, sensuality and some of the other things, you know, I, yes, I just never yes. thought about it. Not never, lower ever. That, right. I had never heard that explained. I mean, and yes. I've studied this stuff for a long time, but it's like, I don't know. And then the way you connected the smell with earth and... Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, I mean, it, but what do we well, smell? we smell when the we earth. Go into no, a, that's a, we smell right, the earth. Right, when you go into a forest or you, or you smell the earthiness mm-hmm, and just mm-hmm. the, the senses get so, like, you know, that's one of my favorite parts of hiking is when you come into a, you know, a part that's a little more damp or, or a little more earthy. You know, mm-hmm. and you just, you know, and l- last night I planted all kinds of flowers. My son helped me. And, you know, I normally wear gloves, but last night I knew I needed to touch the earth. I just had had a lot, you know, going on lately and had, it grounded me. I just felt Absolutely. so good. That's right. I know. So, hey, we've come from here. Love... She's our mother, right? Space, air, fire, yeah. water, and earth. She is our, you know. <laughs> we yeah, come from yeah. the earth. Right. So I love how you covered, you know, the three doshas. And, you know, I, uh, and, and can, do you want to talk, touch at all how we can go in and out of the different doshas, like even with the the seasons or, I don't know, maybe that's too esoteric to go into. But um, Well, well, we're, uh, we're all born, you know, our 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 karma, so to speak, uh, bring us what we need. Uh, every relationship uh, is the consequence of a, of a previous action that provides us the the perfect opportunity to uh, self-examine and let go of some concept that is faulty, that is uh, on the hard drive, so to speak, in the unconscious mind, and uh, and and a, a large portion of that is, is the is the physical body that that uh, we have at birth. Uh, and it provides us the perfect laboratory uh, to uh, make conscious, discriminating choices. Uh, that's what I began to do. Well, and I really like how you even have a chart in here on um, to figure out your dosha, and your dosha is vada, pitta, or kapha. And yes. um, so, <laughs> listeners, there's like you just don't get this very often. There's the whole chart where you on uh, if you're a large frame, medium frame, small frame, mm-hmm. you know, your type of hair, your, um, 
even your size of your teeth, all of this plays into it. And then uh, I love how Leonard goes into um, what are your hunger habits? Are you irregular, sharp, needs food, easily misses meals? You know, and I was with my son yesterday who had not eaten breakfast, who then uh, wanted to go dig up the plants from this one place. It was one of my clients. Uh, she just didn't want these plants, and she was going to throw them away. I said, no, 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 no. I, I would love to have those plants and uh, caretake them. And so by the time we had dug up the plants, this child's hunger was alert, 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 alert. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like this. When he needs to eat, that's it. So I thought, you know, and, and he's medium frame. I, I, You know, I was kind of reviewing last night, and I thought, he is definitely a pitta. I mean, that's yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's his constitution. Yeah, yeah. So isn't that wonderful uh, to, uh, to know? And when I was a younger person, I ate food that I loved. But now knowing my, my body constitution and what... Uh, uh, what foods are best for me, what foods love me. I don't eat food that I love anymore. I eat food that loves me. And as a consequence, I have developed a deep fondness and respect for that food. Well, and you know, the other thing, you know, this young son, I had him at age 42. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> he's he's kept to be young in a lot of ways and vice versa. Sure. He chose an, an older mom, and he's 19 now. And when he went away to college, and he was a year younger, he was he entered kindergarten at age four. He was just an extremely bright kid. And um, at any rate, so when he went away to college, mm-hmm. he was there maybe six months, and he went vegetarian. And he went vegan for a while, but then, you know, that was a little too he, it just didn't, uh-huh. uh, yeah. So he yeah, went, but he's now vegetarian, right? And uh-huh. so, you know, it's it's so interesting. I mean, he makes really good choices, and he studied mm-hmm. it. He studied this, the, but it suits his body type and his everything. His sure. he's sharper, yeah. And you know, he he you know he discovered that on his own, and I really admire that. But um, it just it works well for him. And um, yeah. but so I, I I was I was listening when you said you went away to college and all of a sudden you realized this is different and you know the movie Eat Pray Love I love that movie it's just kind of a mm-hmm. funny movie when she gets to India after she's been in Italy eating her way through and you know recovering from her divorce and all that and then you know she fills her tray full every single day until someone kind of says something and then she starts thinking about it and then she realizes you know that she's eating to live rather than living or living to eat instead of yes. eating to live you know and the and that switch once you find out that maybe the way you're doing it isn't the correct way but we don't learn this nurses don't learn it doctors don't learn it it's like you have to really um be aware and alert and then and then study it i mean it's really a scientific thing yes yes yeah it's it's just so interesting uh uh and it's it's important to remember that uh, people don't make changes very often unless they have to. Uh, we've been very blessed, uh, uh, and we're very grateful that that this teaching, uh, this core curriculum from the Heart and Science of Yoga, now has certification from the American Medical Association, American Nurses Association, and. So something is changing in the culture. There is a change, and and part of what is facilitating the change is pain. You know, this this whole uh, phenomenon is really an epidemic of burnout. Physicians, uh, uh, nurses, uh, it's well over 50%. uh, And and we're not talking about just having a a stressful day. Uh, We're talking about uh, symptoms uh, like heroin addiction, suicide, contemplating leaving the profession. Uh, so it's a major problem. But the the pain that is being experienced by the uh, the docs and the nurses uh, these days, these healthcare professionals, uh, it is what is motivating them to think outside the box and embrace right. yoga science, meditation, gentle yoga as therapeutic complementary techniques. I, uh, when I, um, I'm not going to go into the details, but um, I was in a surgery center, I don't know, it was in 2006, and, you know, before I went into the surgery, I had Healing Touch 
when I came out of the surgery, I had um, a long-distance Qigong session that night remotely, and then I also had two healing touch practitioners do, it's a it's a anesthetic release, it, it takes the anesthesia out of the body, um, mm-hmm. so that, you know, because anesthesia, you know, puts yeah. you into that deep state, but then it also sticks in your cells That's and your right. sludge, yeah. I mean, it just sludges the body, and so they, they did that drain, and then... Um, and I'd received Reiki, and I used my essential oils, and, you know, you get the picture. And so the next morning at 7 o'clock, um, I was like, when is the doctor going to be here? I, I would like to go home. And they're just, like, looking at me like I have two heads, right? And um, and then six months later, I came back in for a, a second surgery, and they're like, we remember you. We talked about you for a long time after you were here. We were talking about that lady whose room smelled so good, and didn't even look like she had a six-hour surgery. And they said, we'd never seen anything quite like it. We're not really into holistic health, but you could be a poster child for it. And I started laughing because, you know, I, I, you know the, the, the whole thing of self-nurturing and self-care, um, you know, I had been juicing before it. I had been doing wheatgrass. I'd been doing, you know, acupuncture. I'd been doing Chinese herbs I, to prepare myself for the surgery because I, mm-hmm. I knew it was kind of a heavy-duty thing. But, but, you know, what I love about your book, I'm going to come back to all of the different things. It's like um, the self-care plan for you, significant reductions in stress and fear, decreased anxiety and depression, lowered blood pressure, lowered heart rate, improved restorative sleep, and improves energy levels, uh, increased creative capacity, diminished Can you, can you just hang headache. on one second as you're reading that list? Yes. I, I want folks to I want folks to remember about the power of the mind and how the power okay. of the mind affects what you're talking about because it's really about the mind. Go ahead, go ahead. But have folks well, think about their own mind. Right, because because it's just like in feng shui. I can I can walk into someone's home and I can make suggestions. And if they move things around, it's it's one thing. But if they move things around with intention, yeah. and they are connected to why they're making those changes, and they're focusing on, you know, I am choosing to do this because this nurtures me and it helps mm-hmm. me. And so that's the mind connecting with the changes and um, the enhanced health and wellness. So um, elimination of irritable bowel syndrome, reduced cholesterol levels, uh, enhanced happiness and optimism, uh, diminished or extinguished acute and chronic pain, weight loss, increased breathing capacity. And, you know, Leonard, I'm glad you talked about the the thing with the opioids and everything. You know, our society you know, wants to suppress pain always and instead of looking at pain as a teacher. And so I really... Um, I like how you brought that into this, too. And, um, you know, but let's talk about the mind and how important the mind is as part of this. And um, we, we have just a couple more minutes. So what and what what website and how do they reach you? Do you offer classes? Or just tell us a little bit about what else, um, what else or is it mainly find your book and, and, and um, find your, your, you know, just tell us how else you can help them. Well, uh, the book is uh, the core curriculum, so that's the heart and science of yoga. You can uh, find us uh, at AmericanMeditation.org, AmericanMeditation.org, uh, and uh, the book uh, can be purchased there. It can be purchased, of course, at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, all fine booksellers. We also, uh, at the American Meditation uh, uh, website, we have an uh, online video course that actually is a video that was produced a five-and-a-half-hour video uh, in small little 10- or 15-minute nuggets uh, that uh, I, I did uh, that tells the story of the book. And the, the entire teaching of the book is contained in the video for five-and-a-half hours. We, we, uh, we teach uh, physicians. Every uh, October we have a uh, conference for physicians and nurses. Uh, uh, we also have a, a summer retreat uh, July 13 through uh, 16 in upstate New York in the foothills of uh, the Berkshires outside of Albany. And uh, uh, I do personal counseling. But really, all the body is in the mind. All the mind is not in the And yoga science provides us a template to access our inner wisdom. We do that through our conscience. 
No other animal other than the human being has a conscience. It alone can reflect wisdom from the superconscious portion of the mind. Now, that's just, that's not magic. That's not metaphor. The superconscious portion of the mind, which lies beyond the conscious, beyond the unconscious, is the same portion of the mind where Paul McCartney hears beautiful melodies, where Albert Einstein saw mathematical equations. And if we create a bridge that connects our outer actions with our inner wisdom, and if we counsel within, if we check with our conscience, the buddhi, before we commit our assets in thought, word, and deed, receive that inner wisdom that will tell us what's to be done and what's not to be done, what's to be said, what's not to be said, what's to be thought, and what's to be sacrificed, then we'll have good telemetry to uh, uh, make a soft, happy, healthy, secure life. And those are beautiful words of wisdom by author Leonard Perlmutter. Leonard, thank you so much for taking this time to be my guest and for bringing us this beautiful book filled with well, wisdom. it's been a treat. It's, it's, it's okay. been uh, just terrific. <laughs> just, thank you so much. We, 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 I want to stay in touch. So thank you so much. And listeners, tell others about this. You know, you can download the file. You can forward it, or you can send people directly to, um, to, to, the, to the interview on the Blog Talk site. So thank you so much. Have a beautiful week. Have a beautiful day. Namaste. Namaste. Thank you, Leonard. Thank you.